You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, I'm Colleen Christie. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. Hourly parking in the city of Vancouver can cost a small fortune, but what if you could get a refund if you left early? Well, that's how it works in several other major cities across the country. So our Kristen Robinson asked the city of Vancouver why it's double dipping when we pay to park. Parking in Vancouver is as easy as downloading the mobile app, tapping and paying. But don't expect to get a refund if you end up buying more time than you actually use. That's one of my biggest pet peeves with pay by phone, is you don't get credit. It's just another way to take money out of our pockets. The city encourages people to only pay for the time they know they need and extend it when necessary. Unused time cannot be banked on your account. No good. <laughs> it's got to be fixed. Vancouver's transportation director says calculating pay-by-phone credits is complicated as parking rates are set by demand and time of day. One of the challenges with uh, um, banking minutes of unused minutes for another location, uh, our rates vary across the city. Both Calgary and Edmonton use pay-by-phone technology developed by the city of Calgary. Like Vancouver, Calgary uses demand-based pricing and adding up the cash credits is no problem. If you come back early uh, and it's not the full, let's say, two hours um, and you actually stop a parking session, we'll actually refund you the money uh, that's, that you haven't actually used. We'll refund that money back uh, into your wallet. While plugging coins shows time left on the meter, pay-by-phone displays zero. If one driver in Vancouver overpays, the next will pay again. And then you're double paying. You get double the, double the money for the same stall. The city doesn't track how much cash the double dip brings in. But with some 11,000 street meters charging from one to eight bucks an hour... Is that not ripping people off? Uh, like I say, I think we have an excellent product right now. The people are extremely satisfied with it. The city is looking at a prepay system that would allow users to end their session early and have the extra parking time cancelled. Until then, your time is money for the city of Vancouver. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Some relief tonight for renters in this province. Premier John Horgan announced today allowable rent increases will be tied only to inflation, meaning in January they can only be raised by 2.5%, potentially saving renters hundreds of dollars a year. But as Nadia Stewart explains, opponents say the reprieve for renters will be short-lived. Two days after receiving the Rental Housing Task Force's recommendation on allowable rent increases, the government announces a big change. And we will be limiting the annual increase to inflation only. This means the annual allowable rent increase for 2019 will be limited to 2.5%. The move comes after much uproar from tenants. Previously, the formula for rent increases was 2% plus inflation. It was set back in 2004. The chair of Vancouver's Renters Advisory Committee welcomes the cut. For quite a long time, renters have been feeling uh, in BC that the de deck is stacked against them. And so, you know, there's been some recent steps to rebalance that that I think are necessary. And this is one of them. But the NDP government's latest decision appears to be frustrating landlords and developers focused on purpose-built rentals. On social media, one developer tweeted they're now halting plans for hundreds of new purpose-built rentals. Another said one of their projects died Wednesday and there might be more. Landlord BC says this isn't good for the long term. There's no big money tree in the backyard for landlords. It's a business, there's risk, there's cost, they're trying to provide housing. 
you know, I think we need to be a little more uh, sensitive to, the, to some of those challenges for those people too. We understand that uh, whenever there's a change in the status quo, some people are going to be uncomfortable with that. But we had um, over a million and a half renters, and a half renters. That, uh, that were looking at a 4.5% increase when their wages have not gone up 4.5%. Landlords can still apply to the residential tenancy branch for an additional rent increase. The circumstances under which those are considered will also be expanded. But there could still be more changes to come. The Rental Housing Task Force will submit its final report in the weeks ahead. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Friends of Natsumi Kagawa took the stand today at the trial of the man accused in her murder. In 2016, Kagawa's body was found in a suitcase on the grounds of the Gabriola Mansion in Vancouver's West End. Grace Key was in court today. And Grace, one of the men who testified was her boyfriend at the time? Yeah, his name is Jay Vergara, and he did describe uh, to the jury how they met. It was through a friend at the night market. So we did speak with uh, Vergara, actually. This was shortly after her disappearance, and he was very active in uh, her search. Now, he described how the police had shown him surveillance photo of Natsumi with the man accused of killing her, William Schneider. Vergara said he didn't recognize Schneider, and when he saw the photo of Schneider carrying vodka in his hand, he said Natsumi didn't drink vodka. Two sedatives were found in Natsumi's system. This is after her body was discovered at the old Gabriola mansion in the city's uh, west end there. One of those medications was prescribed to the accused, and Vigaris said Natsumi uh, never said she had difficulty sleeping and never saw her with any medication. He said she loved Canada, she wanted to stay and work here. He said when he didn't hear from her for a few days, he went to her place. When he didn't find her there, he then contacted police. Now, it's still unclear exactly how the accused and the victim met. Schneider was in a homeless shelter at the time. He is accused of second-degree murder and interfering with human remains. Now, tomorrow, his brother will take the stand. Schneider told his brother where to find the body. The brother then went to police. Colleen? Grace, thank you. New video to show you tonight of I Hits Most Wanted. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team released this video today of Brandon Teixeira. He was caught on surveillance camera at a liquor store in Langley at around 8.30 the night of September 5th. Teixeira is charged with first-degree murder in connection with the shooting death of Nicholas Cabra in Surrey last October. Crime Stoppers is now offering a $5,000 reward for information leading to his arrest. 41-year-old Edward Barnacht is now charged in connection with a cold case murder involving a B.C. teen. Barnacht is facing a first-degree murder charge in the death of 15-year-old Caitlin Noble. Noble, also from B.C., was last seen in August of 2007 northwest of Saskatoon. The investigation into her death spanned from B.C. to Ontario. Barnacht is currently serving a life sentence in the 2000 death of another B.C. woman. Vancouver police are implementing seven recommendations to improve procedures around street checks, a policy that has raised concerns about discrimination. Sarah McDonald joins us live with more on the changes and how the VPD is defending its record. Sarah. Well, Colleen, this was the culmination of months of controversy surrounding exactly how Vancouver police officers conduct those so-called street checks. Today, the department defending its force while also moving to clarify its policy and recommending an overhaul. When a Vancouver police officer conducts what's known as a street check, exactly how is their subject selected? 
That was the question at the heart of this meeting Wednesday. First on the agenda. Bringing the Vancouver Police Department, the BC Civil Liberties Association and First Nations leaders together. The report that's been released today I think is an important document. And I state that as the six recommendations have been accepted. Those recommendations, six of them laid out in an internal report coming months after a complaint was first launched, accusing officers of racial profiling. Just because somebody's in a laneway doesn't mean they're up to no good. It depends on the circumstances. The city's top cop also inviting a third-party review of the practice while accepting those recommendations, which include a formalized carding process, extra officer training, and more transparency. We have to be really careful the kinds of conclusions we're able to draw uh, from the data. That means statistics would be released on an annual basis, with current data showing you have a higher chance of being checked if you are not Caucasian, and specifically if you're Indigenous. That demographic carded 15% of the time since 2008, while only composing 2% of the population. 5% of those stopped are black, while just 1% of the total population. This. Um creates an opportunity to, to take this to a much better place. Uh, it, it's been a challenge for cities uh, all over North America. The province's second largest police force maintaining it is open to change and to scrutiny while defending its officers. That internal analysis finding no evidence of systemic racism. And the police department also noting today those so-called street checks are used relatively sparingly at a rate of roughly one per officer per month. Colleen, we do expect to see those recommendations reviewed early next year and fully implemented on the streets by next summer. Thank you, Sarah. A new business proposal for Vancouver is raising eyebrows tonight. It doesn't have a license yet, but Bella Dolls is already advertising as the first ever sex doll brothel in the city. The company says it's been inundated with inquiries. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, some feel it's far from harmless. And a warning, this subject matter may not be suitable for all members of your family. They are silicone mannequins, each with a name, measurements, and a price. As of November, Bella Doll says its mannequins will be offered at Vancouver's first sex doll brothel. The fact that men are willing to pay to penetrate an object um, reflects the fact that a lot of men do view women as sex objects and further normalizes and legitimizes that kind of an attitude. The sex doll brothel announced as women continue to fight for equality amid the Me Too movement. I personally cannot comment on the negative stigma, but although I can say that Bella Dolls is really here to satisfy a lot of customers' needs. Could sex robots be next? A UBC economist has studied that possibility. As they get uh, more advanced and as they develop better artificial intelligence and the ability to communicate, I think that the big implication is that they will start replacing the traditional sex markets. Bella Dolls has not applied for a business license, but City of Vancouver officials say there's no municipal bylaw preventing this type of business, noting if the city were to receive an application for this type of business, a further assessment would be completed. And given that it would be the first of its kind in Vancouver, the city would refer to the sex work response guidelines in reviewing the application. It is frustrating, it is concerning because it is another example of how women are objectified in the media and that objectification is um, promoted. Bella Dolls claims it's receiving a lot of pre-bookings online. 
As for exactly where the sex doll brothel might be located, no one is saying. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A discipline ruling has been upheld for ex-Victoria Police Chief Frank Elsner. Elsner was caught up in a misconduct scandal that eventually led him to quit the force in 2017. Kylie Stanton has more on the review that deemed the discipline appropriate, but questions who carried out the process. Yes, well, the findings and discipline measures taken in this case are being called unprecedented in Canadian policing. The commissioner review confirms former Victoria Police Chief Frank Elsner was found to have committed a total of eight acts of misconduct under the Police Act, with penalties that include the demotion of his rank to constable, a 30-day suspension, harassment and sensitivity training, and dismissal from policing. The rulings and discipline determined by the retired judges are now final and conclusive. Now, Lowe is also calling for changes to the Police Act after reviewing the way Esquimalt Mayor Barb Desjardins and Victoria Mayor Lisa Helps, both co-chairs of the Victoria Police Board, dealt with this matter. I have recommended that when a misconduct matter involving a chief constable or a deputy chief constable requires a discipline authority, that discipline authority should only be a retired judge. Clearly, we are not equipped as mayors to oversee these investigations, and they should be overseen as the uh, follow-up investigation was by the appropriate uh, people like the retired judges. But both chairs continued to defend themselves for their actions. At the time, Desjardins was very careful when asked if the chief was under investigation. Is there an investigation? There is no investigation at this time technically true. The investigation had just concluded, but there had been an internal personnel investigation. Today, she refused to admit her answer was in any way misleading. Can we do processes better? Yes, we can. Can we learn from this process? Absolutely. And uh, frankly, uh, as I said, I'm very happy that the uh, OPCC has come up with this recommendation. Nearly three years later, the department is under the command of a new chief constable. It will now be up to the government whether or not to implement the recommendations. With the homeless crisis in B.C. worse than ever, you might think that any grassroots effort to help the less fortunate would be welcome. But as John Wall reports, a Langley group says it's being fined by the city for handing out food in local parks. Any more bread bags, you guys? They are armed with a menacing amount of mayo. Are you going to finish the loaf of that bread? Ham and cheese layered between a couple slices of bread. And these sandwich makers are heading out knowing full well multiple City of Langley bylaws might be broken before the day is done. We don't want to fight. We just want to feed the homeless. But handing out food here at Rotary Park has led to run-ins with bylaw. Members of not-for-profits Kim's Angels and Langley Vineyard Church slapped with six tickets, totaling $800 in fines. What kind of a world do we live in, really, if we get tickets and get fines because you're doing something kind? The city doesn't see it that way, saying it asked the group to stop attracting the homeless to public parks. It's not only the distribution of the food, but also the, the lingering effect. So we're just trying to protect the city park from potentially being entrenched homeless camp. We'll get you to... While one of the fines was for holding a public gathering without a permit, others included being an unauthorized mobile vendor, even parking too far from a curb. We don't want to escalate this, but we have to do what we have to do to send a message. Those less fortunate call it an abuse of power, saying they're being treated like wild animals that shouldn't be fed. We're human. Doesn't matter if you're on the street or not, we're still human beings. People are in need, they should be given to the needy, not taken away from them. We're suffering, we need to eat. 
It's survival. The city says the group is welcome to serve out of the church or partner up with another private location. But feed the homeless on Langley's turf and be ready for some bylaw trouble. John Hua, Global News. A mobile health care program is getting a multi-million dollar shot in the arm. Telus is spending $5 million to expand its fleet of clinics on wheels that will provide primary care in areas where frontline care is lacking. The program currently runs in Vancouver and three other cities. The extended program will serve 10 more communities across Canada. It's a clinic on wheels so that the doctors and the nurses can access our electronic medical record software. They can access to talk to other doctors or pharmacists, whatever the case may be, so that they are able to actually bring quality health care to Canadians where they need it. Dallas says that by the end of next year, the expansion of the mobile program will help care for more than 20,000 Canadians every year. A scathing new report that blames Air Canada pilots for a near disaster in San Francisco last year is raising serious questions about Canadian airline safety. The Air Canada flight came within three metres of crashing into a plane on the ground that was loaded with passengers. As Global's Sean O'Shea reports, so the report blames crew fatigue as one of the factors. Canadian travellers assume they're in the best possible hands. But Air Canada's Pilots Union and the National Transportation Safety Board say pilot fatigue is putting people at risk. Investigators have reviewed a near disaster involving an Air Canada flight 14 months ago. The NTSB says Air Canada 759 was cleared to land on runway 28 right at San Francisco International Airport. But instead it lined up with a parallel taxiway. On that taxiway, there were four passenger planes filled with people. They were waiting for clearance to take off. Flight 759 dropped about 18 meters above the ground, narrowly missing a Philippine airline passenger plane by just 3 to 6 meters. Seeing the close call, the pilot initiated a go-around, pulling up the plane and attempting a second landing. The error could have killed or injured more than 1,000 passengers and crew members. The NTSB looked at pilot actions, reporting the first officer did not comply with Air Canada's procedures, and it cited fatigue and length of continued wakefulness, pointing out Canadian regulations do not allow for sufficient rest, result in these pilots flying in a fatigued state. The captain was awake for 19 hours. For reserve pilots to be on duty for that long is just uh, nuts. Pilots flying passengers in the U.S. can only fly a maximum eight hours. NASA recommends the safe upper limit is eight and a half hours. But Canada's proposed new regulations would see a pilot being asked to fly ten and a half hours. The ten and a half hours proposed in the regulations as they currently exist uh, does not go far enough. The transport minister told Global News through a statement, we agree that pilot fatigue rules in Canada need updating. Although under the current rules, listen to how long pilots have to work. Any time of the day, 24 hours a day, you can be sent out and be expected to fly up to 14 hours. Uh, that just makes no sense. Every year in B.C., more than 20,000 people are diagnosed with cancer. For many, one of the most challenging parts is losing their hair. Last year, our Sonia Sunger hosted a hair donation drive on Global News Morning. In a few weeks, we'll be inviting you to join us for a second year. And I don't think there's anybody here that hasn't been touched by cancer. It was a morning filled with tears and generosity. Two and a half years just for this strictly to donate to um, make wigs for cancer. Myself and 29 others cutting and donating our locks last October to create wigs for those undergoing cancer treatment. And this year we're inviting you to take part again. What do you think? 
Peyton Oliver is one of dozens who will cut her hair with us on October 19th. The 11-year-old inspired to donate after watching her mother lose her hair during cancer treatment five years ago. So when they said to me, you're going to have to be on chemotherapy, the first thought was, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose my hair. I remember it was really scary for me. Worried that something was going to happen to her, and I didn't want that to happen. I wanted her to stay healthy. This is our wig bank here in Vancouver. Once again, we'll be supporting the Canadian Cancer Society's wig bank program, which gave out 1,800 wigs across B.C. last year. For many people, they just want to have moments where they can go about their daily life and activity without having cancer, um, a, a constant reminder. We'll also be supporting wigs for kids this year following a brazen theft in Vancouver. 66 wigs were recovered, but none of those are for children. We had our wigs and ponytails uh, stolen a few weeks ago, so we're in desperate need of hair to, to remake the wigs. News of the thefts touching so many. I actually started tearing up because I thought of my own kids. And, you know, um, when I was reading it out loud, Gianna, she was playing on the piano and she just stopped looked at me and she said, what do you mean? Without hesitation, Gianna Gabriel opened up her giving heart, telling her mother she wanted to donate on October 19th. I wanted those kids to um, feel good about themselves and not be like sad. That same wisdom echoed by Peyton, who is urging others to donate their hair. I don't really think it's much of a big deal to cut your hair. Are you going to miss it? No. Sonia Sunger, Global News. Awesome. So far, more than 70 people have signed up, but we'd like to include as many as possible. If you'd like to donate on October 19th, your hair needs to be eight inches or longer and chemically untreated. For more information, you can email us at hairdonations at globalnews.ca or go to globalnews.ca forward slash hairdonations. Yet another hand grenade thrown into the nomination process of Brett Kavanaugh for the U.S. Supreme Court. NBC News is now reporting tonight that a fourth woman is now accusing Kavanaugh of sexual misconduct. That claim coming on the same day a third woman leveled accusations against the embattled nominee. In a sworn statement, Julie Swetnick says she attended more than 10 house parties in the early 1980s and alleges she witnessed Kavanaugh and high school friend Mark Judge fondling and grabbing girls without their consent, saying in approximately 1982 she was the victim of a gang or train rape. Swetnick does not explicitly accuse Kavanaugh or Judge of being involved in her rape, but says both were present and that she believes she'd been drugged. Kavanaugh tonight responding, this is ridiculous and from the twilight zone. I don't know who this is and this never happened. Tonight, Judge's lawyer says Judge vehemently denies Miss Swetnick's allegations. Top Republicans expressing skepticism. Here's what I think. If you went to a party once where people were being drugged and gang raped, you wouldn't go to the next night that you would tell somebody. And that you have an obligation if you see people being abused to come forward. It comes less than 24 hours before tomorrow's dramatic scene in the Senate. Kavanaugh and accuser Christine Blasey Ford testifying. Republicans hiring veteran sex crimes prosecutor Rachel Mitchell to handle questioning. Today, Ford's lawyers releasing the results of her polygraph test, where she wrote down the details of her allegation and was asked if any of it was false. I'm extremely confident that Dr. Ford is being truthful. 
when she answered those questions regarding her statement. Polygraphs are generally inadmissible in court. Meanwhile, according to his prepared remarks, tomorrow Kavanaugh will offer another forceful denial, writing, In retrospect, I said and did things in high school that make me cringe now. What I've been accused of is far more serious than juvenile misbehavior. I never did anything remotely resembling what Dr. Ford describes. Peter Alexander, NBC News, New York. Well, it's kind of hard to believe, but Will Smith just turned 50. And it may be just as hard to believe how he celebrated. Oh, I'd be screaming too. The former Fresh Prince marked the big 5-0 by bungee jumping from a helicopter over the Grand Canyon. Smith live-streamed the stunt on his YouTube channel, and he used the jump as a fundraising effort to help end poverty. Good for him. In Health Matters tonight, it is a debilitating condition that can leave you with nausea and virtually bedridden, but effective treatments for chronic dizziness can be hard to find. Linda Aylesworth talked to a woman about the difficulties she's had just in finding someone who can diagnose the condition. That we humans manage to walk on two legs without falling over is something most of us take for granted. But balance is a complex system involving the inner ear, the eyes and the body all communicating with the brain. When something goes wrong, it can cause dizziness. I think it is very much for me like an invisible illness. Like I think most people had no idea how much I was struggling and how much energy I was using to just get through each day. For seven years, Amelia did her best to cope, visited any number of doctors, underwent numerous procedures. I had a CT, I had an MRI, um, had a surgery on my eyes, had surgery on my nose, um, tried like homeopathy, acupuncture. Her relief was limited. Amelia was not alone. 40% of those over 45 will experience dizziness symptoms, and since there are over 100 causes, an accurate diagnosis and treatment is often hard to come by. There aren't many professionals trained to diagnose and to treat these disorders, and we think the public system, unfortunately, we do have a shortage. Erica Zaya is a vestibular audiologist. She helps diagnose and treat those lucky enough to find her. So these goggles have a camera, so as I move patient's head, I will know if the inner ear sensors are working fine and if they're connecting properly with the eyes and the brain. Thanks to Erica, Amelia now has exercises that are retraining all her senses to work together. And while she still has moments of dizziness, they no longer limit her life. One thing I've learned is like not to give up hope and that it's possible to find someone to help you. Others can find help by contacting the Balance and Dizziness Disorders Society. Go onto our website and go onto our healthcare professionals directory and get a second opinion. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. One of the world's top supermodels, a woman who would appear to have it all, has gone public with her mental health struggles. 38-year-old Giselle Bündchen reveals in her new memoir that she has battled depression and panic attacks that at one point had her contemplating suicide. The mother of two and the wife of NFL superstar Tom Brady says a crushing fear of enclosed spaces began after a rough ride on a small plane in 2013. She was prescribed medication but says she decided to overhaul her eating and drinking habits and use yoga and meditation to de-stress. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. 
Well, it may not look like much here, but we're going to show you why this travel trailer is a world record holder. We'll have that for you right after the forecast. Christy is here, and Christy, it was a but it sure mm -hmm. turned out beautiful this afternoon. It sure did. Yes. So we had some fog this morning and a lot of dew. You may have noticed that. It makes it quite pretty, though, out there. And you know the thing that I like is that you can see the uh, spider webs a lot better this way. Uh, yes, thanks to Teresa from Port Moody for showing us that. But yes, it turned out to be a beautiful day. And we have two to three. And I say two to three because as Saturday, we may have a transition late in the day. But uh, potentially up to three more beautiful days on the way. Thanks to Rick for that photos. Uh, near the water, 16, 17 degrees, but just away from that, 18, 19 degrees and out in the valley, Caldas Lake being the hotspot at 22. Uh, also 22 in Asuyus, but the hotspot across the province was in Princeton today at 23. Now, tomorrow is going to be even hotter. Here's a look at what we're expecting for Metro Vancouver. 19 near the water and potentially 24 away from the water. Some areas like Agassiz and Maple Ridge may even climb closer to 25 degree mark. So we'll be watching for that. Now, while we're talking about almost summer-like conditions, uh, yes, BC Ministry of Transportation are talking about winter driving. Come October 1st, which is Monday, the winter driving regulations for tires go into effect. That means if you're driving on any of the designated designated winter routes, you must have tires for passenger cars labeled with MRS. That's a mud or snow or also uh, snow um uh, ice tires. So that's an all-season or a winter tire, and they must have a tread at least three and a half millimeters. Trucks need to carry chains, and if you're not, you could have a fine of up to $121. If you want more information on that, what are the winter driving routes, check out my Twitter page or my Facebook page, and I have maps showing you that. Jetstream, driving up and over, but you can see some areas getting clipped with some cloud cover and showers, and you can see that here for the north coast, extending just into Prince George and then down along these eastern sections, Valmont, Golden as well. But further south and west, sunshine, temperatures above seasonal, as I mentioned earlier, temperatures away from the water up to 24 degrees, potentially 26 even further, up to two or three days of beautiful sunshine. It's Saturday night, we're expecting the change, and I'll show you this beautiful shot from Penticton. Yes, Chelsea, we love to see mm. those colors. And it's just that time of year, of course, we'll start to get more and more photos oh. like this. So keep sending them in. So gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So gorgeous. Okay, as travel trailers go, it's a relatively modest home on wheels. But this caravan, as it's called in Australia, is a very expensive world record holder. Have a look. That's because it is constructed, get this, guys, entirely from Lego. More than 280,000 bricks to be, well, relatively exact. A new Guinness World Record. It's modeled after a vintage 1970s trailer and was built over a 20-week period by 16 volunteers. It even has, get this, electricity and running water. Really? Although its creator says he wouldn't recommend actually spending a night in it. Is there I went to leave and found my car had been locked into the compound, um, and so I took the option to, to try the caravan out. Stiff. It's, it's a Lego bed. It's designed to, um, to hold weight, but it is very, very, very straight. Yeah, it'd be a little hard, too. This world record didn't come cheap, though. The original would have run about $2,000. The Lego version? Yeah, it cost nearly $100,000 to build. That's a lot. And some vandal can come by and, like, disassemble your caravan. Yes, it would, Squire. We're going <laughs> to talk to him in just a second. <laughs>
Apparently okay. Sneaking in on that. <laughs> you might as well. You, you might as well join the party. Yeah. Um, we want to tell you about this one, though. This is we have all seen all kinds of strange and dramatic encounters with marine animals, right? We've mm -hmm. seen the video mm -hmm. right here. Um, but this one is definitely one for the books. Have a look. Kayaker Kyle Melinder was out in the water in South New Zealand testing his new GoPro when this happened. The water? Yeah. Oh, what? Wow. In case you're thinking that can't be what I think I saw, it was. Kyle gets a slap in the face with an octopus by a seal. Melinder says the octopus actually escaped its battle with the seal by clinging to his kayak until the seal swam away. That's wild. Was the seal upset with him? I, I, it's like, take no that, one asked mister. the seal. Is that like, is that sort of the marine version of a food fight? I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking. That's, That's all a, chuck a bit of a wallop, though. Yeah, it was hard. You know, it would have been worse the other way, because the octopus could have had eight seals at once. Canuck fans getting all excited? Well, or, or like a lot of trepidation. Yeah, well, what they've seen it. But you know what? Full. Listen, I'm, I'm the still, <laughs> I know it's a long year and you want to see them do well. And you don't want boring games, but right. it's not a bad thing to get one more high draft pick and then start going. Yes. Uh, it's only exhibition and ultimately the final score really doesn't mean anything, which is good because last night the Canucks lost 6-0 in Edmonton. But to some Canuck players, this should be the time they are doing everything they can to get a job from, nope, that guy. Travis Green. I'm on the opposite side, so I'm all messed up. Uh, some of the so-called bubble players really haven't been doing very much. In fact, one of the best guys we've seen among the new guys, luckily, I guess, is Elias Pettersson. He's looked good, but a lot of other guys haven't. Canucks 1-5 and five in the preseason. They have one game left Saturday in Kelowna against Calgary. I don't think the Canucks are going to make the playoffs this year, but if it makes you feel more optimistic than I, the results from the preseason last year above 500 and they missed the playoffs so maybe being below 500 will lead to a better regular season mm -hmm. who knows uh last saturday's catch by brian burnham the two-point conversion catch the spectacular one sent the lions game against hamilton to overtime it showed a lot of professional concentration not only catching the ball but make sure he kept one foot in bounds and i mean barely kept it in bounds but on the same play, there was another level of professionalism, another level of concentration and fearlessness. That was by a guy named Paul Yates. Paul Yates is a professional photographer, which at a football game can be a full contact job. He's the one Brian Burnham runs into after making the catch. Now Yates did have a choice. He could bail out and save himself and his equipment, or he can get the shot. Normally you try and get out of the way, uh, but um, if to get the right angle, you have to be on the ground for the most time for the right kind of shots. So if you're on the ground, you can't get out of the way, but for the most part, it's a good idea to get out of the way. But those are the kind of shots that we look for all the time. Now, when you're a professional photographer, getting out of the way doesn't necessarily mean saving yourself as much as it means saving your equipment. Um, fortunately, this is a uh, CPS camera loan from Canon Toronto, and... Uh, they give us these to test drive, and he just missed this, but he did manage to get the monopod, which is um, a lot better because this guy is a little more expensive than this guy. <laughs> Take 3,000 shots in a game, and when it's all over, there's probably 20 shots that are worth keeping. 
but because he kept his nerve until the last second, Paul got one of those shots last Saturday night. The picture that shows just how close Brian Burnham was to going out of bounds and the Lions losing that game. That's the shot that, uh, that we're looking for. And uh, the great toe mark here is always good. A little bit of green between his toe. In a game, there's probably two or three chances for a professional photographer to get a shot like that. They're, they're rare. So it's, uh, you know, the right place, the right time, uh, some luck, and um, just trying to survive it. John Gibbons will not be back as the Toronto Blue Jays manager next season. That was made official today, but as Gibbons joked at the press conference, pretty much everybody knew that was going to be the case. Camille Karamali has the story. We kept that secret pretty good, didn't we? You know. <laughs> In a lot of ways, this announcement was a walk down memory lane. I try to live my life with no regrets. And what a highlight reel to look back on, most notably the Jays' 2015 run to the American League Championship Series. Followed by another strong campaign in 2016, only to be defeated once again in the AL Championship. But it all came together. We, we, we finally became relevant in baseball again. But to do that, uh, you know, when you are the manager of the team, you know, that uh, since that is the ultimate goal, um, that's probably, that's what stands out. It hasn't been a short stint with the Toronto team. Gibbons was manager of the Jays from 2004 to 2008 before returning in 2013. His passion for the game extended to his love for the city and the way fans treat its athletes. It's a clean city. It's a safe city. You know, it's not like a lot of U.S. cities are running around, you know, you know, you know in all seriousness. So they feel, they, they feel good and, and the people treat them, treat them great. A manager loved by the players. He cared, he genuinely cared about the players. Um, and uh, he made it clear that he was here for us. But now both parties agreeing it's a necessary step for the franchise. You know, ultimately we decided it's time for a change and, and it's time for a new approach, a new voice, a new voice. Starting the announcement off with a joke. But I can't thank you guys enough, we'll be friends forever. And, and but I'm... ending it with a heartfelt message to the media while he choked back tears. All right, All right. thanks man, appreciate it. You have Tough some good business. times there, yep. Didn't quite get all the way, of course, but they had some good teams under John Gibbons. There you yeah. go. Do you guys remember when the library was built? Yes. Oh, 1995? Yeah. Yeah. The downtown library. I was library. a child right. then, but I do remember. Of course something. you were. We all were. Well, more than 20 years after the eye-catching central branch of the Vancouver Public Library was built, its showpiece feature is finally opening to the public. Ted Chernecki gives us a preview of the library's expansion, including its long-awaited rooftop garden. It is arguably one of the architectural jewels of Vancouver's downtown core, and if you look closely and upwards, you'll see that this jewel has a few more carrots added. That long-talked-about rooftop garden has finally grown into reality. It was part of the original vision, but it was never part of the plan, so we've always had a green roof on this building. One of the first things you notice when you walk onto the library's ninth floor rooftop is how many other rooftop gardens there are all around you, but those just for the well-heeled, making this place an almost unique gathering spot. There's a really beautiful skylight that runs throughout the entire space. 
That skylight, by the way, darkens and brightens depending on outdoor light. So when we have this space set up with soft seating, people will be able to read and connect with other people in this space, and it'll be cool and comfortable because of that transition lens. And if it is raining, there's a whole other floor that'll be open to the public for the first time. You can take a stairway down to the new eighth floor, or you can take a newly installed escalator. We anticipate that this room will be used for programs involving civic dialogue, talking about poetry, and it'll also be a highly desirable rental space. Total cost of the project, $16.8 million, $1.3 million over budget. These two new spaces are 42,000 square feet, and the original building was 350,000 square feet. This 12% increase in overall floor space represents the largest enhancement to the Vancouver Public Library main branch since it opened 23 years ago. Part of the cost overrun includes an 80-seat purpose-built theatre with all the acoustic accoutrements one would expect. And it's all coming to this theatre near you Saturday. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Okay, so it opens on Saturday to the public. Just when Just, it's, yeah, that's too bad. Well, it'll be, it'll be dry still and right. people will be able to get there out there on Saturday. It's just we have a chance of showers more so on Sunday. But I think it needs a bar or a restaurant on top. I think not a bar, but you know, like a lounge <laughs> like no, bar first. type bar. Good enough. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. That would be, I'm sure it's going to attract enough people as it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'll be lovely. Might make people read again. It, well, there's a shocker. <laughs> no one's reading these days? I don't know. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> You're still reading. I know.